Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 22, 1 through 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The word of the Lord. Amen, church. Um, it is actually my privilege today to uh, introduce um, our speaker for today. Um, he is a young man, uh, Moody student, uh, a member of this church. I texted him uh, earlier this week and I said, if there, is there anything in particular you want me to say when I introduce you? And he said, the most important thing I have going on in my life right now is that I am the husband to one Reba Fajardo. So it is my great privilege and my honor to introduce Santiago Fajardo. Good morning, Hainendorf family. Um, yeah, my wife and I have been here for just about two years, and uh, we got married just a couple months ago. Confessor uh, actually is the one who married us. Um, yeah, I'm privileged to be here today speaking to you all. Um, yeah, it was June, Magdalene College, Oxford. The beautiful blue sky was freckled with fluffy clouds whose piercing white color captured my eyes as the sun's warm rays fell upon them so marvelously. The lush green grass of the lawn around me was so lovely it could have been a suitable bed even for the angels. The colors all around me were just beautiful, so full of life. I stood there on a dusty gravel path just outside the building where he'd taught C.S. Lewis. And I stood there in the shade of a grand tree. I just stood there. And I listened to my favorite sound. The sound of leaves dancing in the wind. It was a moment of such blessed stillness. I could have relived it a thousand times over, but alas, the others were waiting. So I scurried off, wishing I could have stayed even just a few seconds more. But that moment remained with me. In a way, no other one had done so before. And in the course of the next hour or two, something changed. I left that spot under the grand tree and journeyed with my friends along the path, the quiet path of the college, where Lewis himself had walked decades ago with his beloved Tolkien by his side. My professor, also there with us, retold the stories of their conversation as well as many other tales of Lewis's life. I don't actually remember much of what was said that afternoon, what I heard, yet I remember that something changed. That blessed moment under the tree had stayed with me as I walked, and it had found a deep place within me. So deep that somewhere along that path, in the company of a few brothers and sisters, 
quietly remembering the life of our brother, beloved brother, Lewis, somewhere along that path of stillness was born in my heart and I began to hear like I never had before. I began to hear voices as I'd never done before. The voices of insecurity and uncertainty. The voice of fear. And with each day and week and month, I heard them more and more and more. And with greater clarity, voices I had never heard before. But there was a certain voice. One voice, at times more like a groan than an actual voice, actually, that I could not understand, no matter how inclined and focused my heart to listen to it among the other voices, I still could not perceive its words. It was a haunting voice filling my ears at indeterminate times with the sound of groans. I'd hear it at night as I laid awake in bed, as I sat on the train staring out into the city, even as I studied. But I could not understand. I could not perceive what it meant. Until one day, I heard it as clear as day. That grotesque, haunting cry that came from the depths of my own soul. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it resounded in me like low rolling thunder, the voice of my suffering. You have probably heard it yourself. As a matter of fact, I know you have. Every last one of us has heard this voice. It may often be drowned out by the clamor of our busy lives, appointments to get to, friendships to tend to, places to explore, families and homes, and neighbors to care for, shows to watch, music to listen. It may be drowned out by so much noise, but the groans of our pains are never ceasing. And when we stop that show, that song, when we put down the book or broom or file or whatever else we've told ourselves we have to do when there is even one moment, one moment of stillness, silence, boredom, we can hear it. The clear, haunting voice of our suffering. And it echoes in our soul with a horrid exactness. Fatherless. Alone. Unwanted. Abused. Barren. Unloved. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves lost in a vast darkness cast down into a pit of utter God-forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our souls cry. 
Why would you permit this? Why did you let this happen? Why me? Why now? Why have you abandoned me? The voice draws us deep into the depths and chaos of confusion and chaos within ourselves. It leads us along a trail of deserted ruins. And the deeper we're led into the depths of our despair, the more horrid the sight. With every step that we take on this trail of tears, we are reminded of every tear. We recall every last God-forsaken cry. We feel again the wretched pain of every last affliction of our lives until we come finally to a lifeless land, the land of the dead. And we cry. We mourn the loss of what goodness and life and joy we had before our sufferings. And we cry and cry and cry and cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest at all. And it's not until this very moment when we cry and mourn and find ourselves in this utter place of darkness. It's until this moment when we find ourselves wailing with despair and overcome by the wretchedness of our sufferings that we understand what this all means. For it is right here in the land of the dead where we thought that no joy, no hope, or life remained that we hear the cries of our Christ. Eli, Eli, le that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Behold, here hangs our God upon his cross in this lifeless land taking upon himself our cries of God-forsakenness. And behold, he bears our sufferings and he sheds our tears. This is truly what is meant by Emmanuel. God has not remained at a distance. This is what Emmanuel means, that he, as the psalm says, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us in our suffering. It is his compassio towards us, his mutual suffering, his compassion. And to what end? Well, to heal us. To heal us, of course. The late T.F. Torrance 
Scottish theologian and minister, wrote in his work, Mediation of Christ, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was a cry of utter God-forsakenness, the despairing cry of man in his dereliction, his abandonment, which Jesus had made his own thereby revealing that he had penetrated into the ultimate horror of great darkness, the abysmal chasm that separates sinful man from God. But there, in the depths of desolation, where we are exposed to the final judgments of God, Jesus converted man's atheistical shout of abandonment and desolation into a prayer of commitment and trust. Father, Unto thy hands I commend my spirit. In Jesus, God himself descended to the very bottom of human existence, into the very hell of our godlessness and despair, laying fast hold of us and taking our cursed condition upon himself in order to embrace us forever in his reconciling love. And this, this is the grand mystery of compassion. That God has not only heard our distant cry and redeemed us from afar, but that Christ has healed us by suffering with us. For Christ has given us life by binding us to himself with the very tears and cries of our suffering. And unless we journey there, to that place, to the depths of our agony, to seek him, we will not find him anywhere. Is that not what Christ himself means when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That he promises to be found along the path of his passion and on Calvary's hill. Is that not what Paul means when he proclaims that our baptism into Christ was a baptism into suffering and death? Christ did not come to earth to ascend with might upon Mount Zion and to rule in greatness. No. Christ came in weakness. Christ came in weakness descending to the valley of the shadow of death to hunger and thirst as we do. To cry and to mourn. To hurt and ache in body and spirit as we do. He came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came as a companion to the utterly hopeless and lifeless, whispering so gently to them, Child, do not fear. Hear my cries. See my tears. Behold my wounds. Know that I am with you in every suffering. And here we see what it means to have compassion. The way of compassion is the way of Christ's sufferings. To have compassion 
is to bear upon yourself, upon your very own shoulders, the sufferings of another, to journey with them, as it were, in mutual cries of desperation and desolation along a trail of tears into the place of the dead, where there is no life, no hope, no joy. Compassion speaks in the dialect of presence, in the language of silent company. And it says nothing more than simply, I am with you. I am with you. It brings the assurance to the weary. It assures them that though unbearable sorrows surround them, in a God-forsaken land they are not crushed. That though afflicted, they are not forsaken. That though struck down, they are not destroyed. Like the moonlight in the dead of night, they are reminded that there is still life and light in this pit of despair. We are able to have compassion, to suffer the wounds of another's life only because Christ has known us in our suffering and we have known him in his. Those who have not known Christ in suffering, been bound to him by the wails of God-forsakenness in the depths of their souls and dwelt with him in the land of the dead, they can have no compassion to offer. For they do not know what it is for suffering to be carried upon another's shoulders. So what shall we say? What shall we do? How are we then to receive his compassion that we may be compassionate toward each other? Are we to rile up within ourselves pious and rigorous spirits that we might force ourselves to cry and to feel the pain of others? Are we to, like warriors, fight our way through the walls of others' hearts and make our way inside as intruders? What are we to do? How are we to receive this compassion from our Christ? And how are we to be compassionate towards each other? Well, it begins with stopping. Stop and listen. Listen to the voices, to the groans that you have too long ignored, that you and I have despised and counted as a curse. Stop and listen. Hear those cries. Remember the sound of them groaning from the very depths of the pit of despair. Don't ignore them. 
Don't drown them out with the noise of your life. Acknowledge them. Why? Well, because when you're still and you hear that voice that tells you your pain, you will realize that it is Christ who speaks. It is Christ who calls out to you and addresses your soul like no one else has ever done, like no one else ever could. And he beckons you to come to his altar with piercing, piercing gentleness as one who has known you in a place of lifelessness and despair. And he calls you to suffer and to be slain with him. He says, come eat my wounded flesh and drink my scarlet blood that you may be healed from your affliction, find life in my death and be received and be raised with me into new life. He calls us. He calls us from the caverns of our souls that we hate, where it seems like there is no life and no light. Listen. Be still and hear the voice of your beloved Savior, friend, brother, of your kind father who knows all too well what it is to suffer. Hear his voice of compassion, his voice of mutual suffering, and see your tears in his tears, hear your cry in his cries, see your blood in his blood. Let the life in you be drained to a point of utter lifelessness. Because there, in death, in your Savior's death, you will find life. There, in his sufferings, you will find healing. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that the evils that surround you are good. But what it does mean is that even the deepest, darkest parts of you, even the worst and most wretched parts of this world, he has claimed for himself and for his purposes, for the sake of the joy and blessedness of all who are his. So what shall we do? How are we to receive this compassion that we may be compassionate towards others? Well, it starts right here. Eat and drink. Receive your blessed Christ and learn here the mystery of compassion. Psalm 22 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Praise be to God.
that he has not abandoned us, that we have not been forsaken, that when we cry by day and lift our voices in despair at night, he answers. He has inclined his ear towards us who cry and beg for his mercies, and he has offered up nothing less than his very own self, his son. And he says, come and suffer with me. That is where we learn compassion. And until that moment, when we receive his compassion, we will have no compassion for another. So follow him. Follow him there. However hard, however painful, however long it takes. Follow him to his altar. To receive him in death and be raised with him in life. Let's pray. Holy Father, you who are like no other, we thank you, we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We come before you as we come we come before you as we come before no other with vulnerability, with openness, with the cries and the wails of our soul. And even when we don't understand them, we know that you do. Help us, Father, to know you in your weakness and your suffering. Help us to find life as we lose our own. Raise us to new life. Heal us by your compassion and teach us the mystery of this compassion that others may be healed as we suffer with them. Blessed.